0: Uh, let's get into the Bible, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 is where we find ourselves. The title of this message is Recipients and Participants. And that's what we ought to be as Christians as it pertains to both God's love, God's blessing, and God's mission. Recipients and Participants. We are looking at the story of the feeding of the 4,000 this morning. You might remember from the previous chapter that Jesus fed the 5,000. Now he's going to feed the 4,000. Matthew 15, starting verse 29, we'll read to the end of the chapter. I'm reading and preaching from the NIV this morning. It says in verse 29 in Matthew 15, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid them at his feet. Jesus healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seen, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. "'He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. "'Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, "'and when he had given thanks, "'he broke them and gave them to the disciples, "'and they in turn to the people. "'They all ate and were satisfied. "'Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets "'of broken pieces that were left over. "'The number of those who ate was 4,000 men "'and women and children.' After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us understanding hearts to hear and to comprehend your word this morning. And that you would give us willing hearts as well to hear what you have to say to us to respond to your holy word in obedience and adoration and worship in the ways that we live we thank you for your word which is holy and right and true we we set ourselves under its authority and we ask together that you would please help me to teach and preach in a way that's faithful to the Bible, helpful to the church, and brings glory to Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have been following along with us in Matthew, you, you, you probably ask the obvious question, why this almost identical story again? Just in the previous chapter, one page to the left, probably, in your Bible, we have almost the exact same thing happening. Why is it happening again? And why do we have it recorded for us in very similar language? Look back in your Bible, perhaps just the previous page in chapter 14, and we'll read that account of the feeding of the 5,000, and I want you to note the similarities, and I want you to note some of the differences. <clears throat> It says in verse 13 of Matthew 14, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So it begs the question when we read those things, and there's so many similarities and a few nuances, a few differences. Why is this recorded for us again? Why did Jesus do this again? And one might respond, why not? If you've got a gig that good, why not do it again? Right? Everybody loves to do their best trick multiple times. Do it again. I'm sure people were saying to Jesus, do it again about his best stuff. And you know, Jesus did a lot more than is recorded for us in the gospel of Counts. He may have fed thousands of people a bunch of times and it's just not recorded for us. Only certain things were recorded. John said at the end of his gospel this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the book's that would be written. So it might be that Jesus did this a bunch of times, but we have these two times recorded for us. Great similarities, a few differences. And the question we have to ask when we come to this, test, this text is okay, so what is here in this particular instance, the feeding of the 4,000, that is profound, that is deep, that is to be learned, in addition to what we already learned from the feeding? of the 5,000. Now that could be a little bit of mystery that we've got to kind of unravel and look at some of the details. Have you ever uh, been watching a movie and it's like the plot gets so convoluted, you're like, I just need to skip to the end and see who killed Joe or whatever. Or you're reading the book, I'm the kind of guy, I can't really track, you know what I mean? I get so lost, I'm like, oh, let's just go to the end and see how this ends. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to go to the end of the book of Matthew and see where this is all headed. So turn to Matthew chapter 28. And we'll see where this is all headed. And it'll help us to understand the story that we just read. Matthew chapter 28. In the first few verses of Matthew 28, we have the text that we read last week on Easter Sunday about the resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead. And then here's what happened immediately afterward. And this is how the book ends. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a lot there, but there's two main phrases that emerge that we need to grab onto to help us understand our text. All authority and all nations. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. He uses the word in the Greek language, exousia. It combines the ideas of right and might. Jesus has all the might in heaven and on earth. And he has all the right to exercise that might in heaven and on earth. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. And then he says, you therefore go and make disciples of all nations, all authority and all nations. Jesus came, Matthew has been explaining to us, as the Jewish Messiah who fulfilled promises that God made to the Jewish nation of Israel. Jesus came as the fulfillment of God's promises to the nation Israel. He was a Jewish Messiah, but he was also and is also the Savior of the whole world. He came to fulfill promises to Israel as a Jewish Messiah, but he is also the Savior of the whole world. So Jesus, on his mission, Matthew's been telling us, went first to Israel. That was the plan. He goes first to Israel as the Messiah of the Jews. And after Jesus went to Israel, he then sent his disciples to all nations. Jesus went to Israel, and he sent his disciple to, the disciples to all nations. So they became, and we have become, both recipients and participants In the mission of God, the love of God, the kingdom of God going forward. They were, as Jews in Israel during that time, the recipients of the good news, the gospel, and they were participants as they were sent. And what Jesus is doing in our text today, if you want to turn back to Matthew 15, is he's telegraphing that end game to his disciples. He's cluing them in on where this is all headed. Now, part of it, like our text from a couple weeks ago, is geographic in nature, and that's important. We'll pop this map up again that we had up a couple weeks ago. The blue dot in the middle, this is like a satellite image of Israel or a portion of it. The blue dot in the middle is the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus has been living out most of his life and doing most of his ministry. You'll remember from the text that immediately precedes today's text that we studied two weeks ago, Jesus traveled north and to the coast to that area of Tyre and Sidon. That's the red line that goes up there where he encountered the Canaanite woman. You'll remember that. And now in our text, he's followed the blue or green. I can't tell what color it is from here. He's followed that line on the right, and he's come down to this area of Decapolis. Now here in Matthew, it just says that he went to the Sea of Galilee. That is that region. But Mark in his parallel account in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, tells us explicitly that Jesus went to Decapolis. Here's why that is important. Decapolis, like Tyre and Sidon, was a Gentile area in Israel. You'll remember the definition of Gentile. Gentile, for biblical purposes, is anyone that wasn't a Jew. Okay, so the whole rest of the world, all nations, nations, stick with me today, people. All (laughs) nations, other than Israel, are Gentile nations. So this was a non-Jewish area in Israel, the area of Decapolis. Literally, Decapolis means 10 cities. 10 cities populated with Gentiles. And the disciples had been to this area before. We'll just leave the map up for a minute. You might remember in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus got in the boat with the disciples and they were going to go to the other side. There is in the Gospels this proverbial other side. Their side was the left side, okay? The west side was the best side for them. That's where they spent most of their time, the west and the north. But when it says they got in the boat and they went to the other side, that was the side where Jesus is now, that region over there that was predominantly Gentile. So the disciples had been here before. It was probably the only other time they'd ever gone there in their life. It was the other side of the tracks. And what went down over there, quite frankly, from their perspective, was rather creepy. Let's look at what happened last time they were there. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Keep your finger in 15. We'll be back. Matthew chapter 8. We'll start in verse 28. This is what happened last time they went to the other side. Matthew chapter 8 verse 28 says, When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came out from the tombs and met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out, one into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This, the other side, where Jesus and the disciples are now in our story today, was not a happy place for the disciples. Right, they got in the boat to go there and there's a storm and they almost drown and Jesus saves them. They get there and out of the tombs comes these two demon-possessed guys. And they were violent. They were so violent that another account tells us they used to break the chains that people tried to put on them. Nobody could even get close to them. And they say to Jesus, we know who you are. And I'm sure they said it in like some demon voice. like, You know what I mean? And there's these gnarly guys there. And then they say to Jesus like, hey, if you're going to cast us out, send us into the pigs. And Jesus does it. This is like the craziest thing in the world. If you are a Jewish disciple who just went to the other side and you see the demonized guys and the pigs and then the pigs run in the water and they drown and everyone from town comes and says, you know what, just leave. This is like a bad experience. (laughs) It's not a happy place for them. This was actually kind of a scary place for them. It's it, it sort of, I, I, I imagine in some way for them, sort of like fulfilled all their suspicions about the other people on the other side. For them, it was just what they thought. It was pretty dark. It was a little bit scary and it was definitely was unclean from their perspective. And now they're back. Jesus takes them right back into that space. Now, remember what Jesus does with the disciples, what he's doing with the disciples and what he does with us. He is discipling them. He's teaching them. He's leading them. He's forming them, right, as Jesus' followers. He's he's forming them. And so now, in teaching them and leading them and discipling them, He wants them to have a whole different experience that will sort of broaden their understanding of the whole thing. He is, once again, telegraphing to them these two important concepts, all authority and all nations. Looking back in our text with that in mind, Matthew 15, again it says, In verse 30, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them all. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. A key component of what Matthew does for us is show us continually in different ways the authority that Jesus has over everything. We've seen that in all sorts of of stories here, right? We've seen that Jesus has authority over nature multiple times. He said to the wind stop and the wind stop and to the wave stop and the wave stop. Later on, he'll say to a fig tree wither and the fig tree withers. He has authority over nature. We've seen that Jesus has authority over sickness in our text here. He heals all kinds of sicknesses as he's been doing throughout the account of Matthew. We see also that Jesus has authority over evil. He told the demons, go in the pigs, and they went in the pigs. He tells demons to leave people, and they leave people. Jesus even had authority over sin. You remember that the paralyzed man was brought to him, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And the crowd went, who are you to forgive sins? Only God could do that. And to show that he had authority to forgive sins, he healed the man. And we learn in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus even has authority over death. He raised the little girl from the dead and Christ himself could not be held by the grave. And he himself rose from the dead. And so in our text, once again, Jesus is demonstrating his authority over everything and especially everything that has gone wrong. So that when Jesus gets to the end of the book and he says, all authority has been given to me, nobody's surprised. Nobody's like, oh, dude, I didn't see that coming. Like, (laughs) You're just claiming all this authority all of a sudden? Like, nobody was surprised. They'd seen his authority over nature, sickness, evil, sin, and death. They're like, yep, all authority. They might have been slightly surprised when he said, so go to all nations. There's a hint that Jesus is telegraphing this at the end of verse 31 where it says, and all the people praise the God of Israel. It's the only time in Matthew that we hear that phrase, the God of Israel. Why not just say all the people praise God because they're in Gentile areas where they had different gods. These people have come to recognize the one true God. And so Matthew gives us that important detail. They praise the God of Israel. This is all nations being brought into the scope of God's love, God's kingdom, and God's mission. Jesus here in the teaching of the disciples is setting the stage for the Great Commission, all authority, all nations. So look at a few more details in the text that give us some other hints. Verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. They may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, well, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he broke the seven loaves and the fish. And when he'd given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. I want you to notice a couple details here that Are revealing and and some of them symbolic. The first one that's revealing. Jesus here in the text is the one who has compassion on the people because they are hungry. In the text that we read from Matthew chapter 14, the feeding of the 5,000 in Jewish area dealing with Jewish people, you'll notice that it was the disciples who were concerned about the people being hungry. This time it's Jesus. Last time, it was only a day that the people were with Jesus while he was healing and teaching people. And as it began to become night, the disciples said, Gosh, these people have no food. We should send them away so they could get some food. Now, it's been three days that they've been there with Jesus without any food. The first day passed, morning, day, evening, the disciples didn't say anything about the lack of food for these Gentiles. The second day passed, they don't bring up the same concern about their need for nourishment as they did in the Jewish area. And the third day comes and the disciples haven't said anything. And finally, Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. And verse 33 teaches us that the disciples did not have any intention of seeing their Jewish Messiah. Messiah do for these Gentiles what he had done for the Jews on the other side? Because their response was, well, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? I mean, how did they miss that? It was only a chapter ago. It's not hard. But that is exactly what Jesus intended to do. Jesus intended to do for these others on the other side exactly what he did for those who were on the inside, Israel and the Jews. Showing his followers the scope of his love, his mission and his kingdom and endeavoring to broaden for his followers the scope of their love. And mission. Now, this would, this would come to life for Peter months and months down the road. Turn to Acts chapter 10 as we see this come to life for Peter. Keep your finger in Matthew 15. We may be back. But Acts chapter 10, turn there. We're going to read a long portion of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll be okay. Follow along. It's a great story. You'll get it. Acts chapter 10. This whole thing about all nations and the Gentiles coming to life for Peter. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. About noon the following days, they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, which always happens when you're praying. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius, pause right there, Cornelius is a Gentile, a non-Jew who was in another city seeking the God of Israel. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come from Cornelius the Centurion. He's a righteous and God fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that you could so that excuse me, he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remember your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Great audience. Verse 34, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that is Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days wow these like things that Jesus was trying to teach Peter were like coming to him happening in his life in the most profound way unmistakable ways so that Peter would have to come to this like humble repentant corrected space of saying and believing that God's love and kingdom are inclusive everyone Is invited in. God's love and kingdom are inclusive. Everyone is invited in. All, be with me, people, all nations. And though God's love and God's kingdom and God's mission is inclusive, all are invited, all nations, God's way into that kingdom is exclusive. All authority has been given to Jesus. And the only way in is by faith alone in Christ alone. The mission of God, the love of God, the kingdom of God, the gospel is inclusive but exclusive. All are invited, but there is only one way in. Faith alone in Christ alone. And so back in Matthew 15, where you now flipped with your little thumb, What Jesus is doing there is demonstrating this to the disciples and to us. The scope of God's love is probably, that's like a hyperbolic way of saying it, I'm being facetious, God's love is probably way more inclusive than we imagine. That's what he's showing them by feeding the 4,000 Gentiles plus women and children. He's doing for the Gentiles exactly what he did for the Jews as their Jewish Messiah who loved them and came for them, who had given them all the promises. He is now doing for the other on the other side where it seemed a little dark and a little scary and a little distant and a little foreign and a little unclean. He's doing the same gracious thing for them. And there's cool symbolism there. How many baskets of, of bread were left over the first time? Twelve. twelve. How many baskets of bread were left over the second time? Seven. And twelve in the Bible is generally representative of Israel. Israel. There were 12 tribes, there were 12 Jewish disciples. In the end chapters of Revelation, when New Jerusalem comes down, there are 12 foundations and 12 gates that represent the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. 12 was a number of Israel. God was demonstrating through the feeding of the 5,000 that I, Jesus is saying, in my love for you am more than enough to satisfy and save you. How many baskets in the second one? Seven, and seven in the Bible is generally the number of completion. Good job, Bible students, church, awesome church, best church. (laughs) I mean that in a really humble way. Number of completion, seven. So God's plan was actually incomplete with the 12, and it was always meant to include more. God's love is inclusive. And he was telling the Gentiles and the whole world that his love and his grace and his mercy and Christ as the bread on whom we nourish is enough to satisfy us. In fact, it says here in verse 27, they all ate and were satisfied. Exact same words in both stories. Holy Spirit wants to make sure that that is not lost on us that they all ate and were satisfied. You know what that's in a picture? That's a picture of the overabundance of God's grace. God doesn't just have grace toward us. He has abundant grace toward us. God has more mercy than we need even in our wickedness and rebellion more love than we could ever imagine. In God, in Christ, there is always an overabundance of grace and mercy and love for all people. God's great passion is to serve, satisfy, and save people from every nation in Christ. All are invited, but you only enter exclusively through Jesus. And the story tells us that Jesus is enough. He's 12 baskets left over. He's seven baskets left over. He is abundant grace, never-ending mercy, all-pervading love. So the feeding of the 5,000 was Jesus' invitation to the Jews to come to his banqueting table. The feeding of the 4,000 was Jesus' banqueting invitation to the Gentiles. And if we want to like cheat one more time and turn to the back, back, back of the book, to the book of Revelation, we see how it all ends. You know how it all ends, don't you? Revelation chapter five, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Revelation chapter seven, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And Revelation 19. Then he said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Who's invited? Everyone. How do we get into the banquet? Only through Faith in Jesus alone. And those truths about the scope of God's love and God's mission and God's kingdom are meant to shape our lives because we are both the recipients and participants in God's love and God's mission and God's kingdom. Here's what we cannot be as Christians. We cannot merely be recipients. It was never meant to be that way. That's incongruous. That's inconsistent. That's not in line with what God has planned. We are not meant to be mere recipients of God's love and grace and mercy, God's mission. We must also become participants in. That's what he's teaching the disciples. That's what he's always teaching us. That's why the whole end of the book is, okay, Go to all the nations. And then the end of the book of the book of the book is, okay, and all the nations are there praising God together. So very simply, Jesus was teaching the disciples that following him is always going to, it's always going to mean that we're going to be pressed to care about people that are outside of our natural or learned tendencies to care for. Following Jesus is always going to do that. It's always going to take us up into that tension of caring for people who are outside our natural tendency or our learned behaviors to care for. That's just what following Jesus looks like. Recipients and participants, blessed to be a blessing. There at the Galilee receiving, filled with the bread, they're distributing, seeing others satisfied, served, and saved in Jesus. That's the Christian life. So here's what I want to do for a moment now. I'm, I'm going to ask us to pray individually. You can pray with someone if you want. I won't argue with, that, with you about that. These are, these are kind of private prayers. Don't get all stir around, shuffle, put your stuff away yet. Here's how I want us to pray in response to this. I want us to ask ourselves, as I've been doing, some hard questions, like such as this. Who does God love that I don't necessarily care about? I was in the grocery store on uh, Friday or Saturday, I can't remember, and I saw a guy in there who honestly... I don't just not care about the guy. I really don't like the guy. I just like did my best to cold shoulder. And I have to realize in light of this text that I am not living in a place that is congruent with the love of God, with the mission of God. I don't care about him or for him, but God loves him. So shouldn't I then, as a Jesus follower, come God's way and begin to ask God, God, who are the people around me that you love but I don't care for? Can you teach me to love like you love? Am I the only one that's like that? You know what I mean? Like people that you don't like or you guys too? You guys make me feel like such a sinner. But I know it's really you. We need to ask ourselves like, questions like this. Who does Jesus feel compassion for that I don't? Maybe near, maybe far. Right? If, if we're at all endeavoring to follow Jesus, he's always going to confront us with those things. He's going to take us to the other side. Uncomfortable places, dark places, unclean places. He wants us to feel what he feels for people. To function from his love for people. Who do you know that needs to be served, satisfied, and saved in Christ that isn't? They might be close. It might be like within your immediate sphere of influence. Or it might be like literally out at the nations. You know, there's millions of people who still have no access to the gospel in the world. And we generally don't care. as evidenced by what the church is doing about it, like we, we generally don't care very much about that. We send over 90% of all of our missionary resources to places that already have access to the gospel. We don't care too much about the other dark, unclean, evil side. But God is calling us to care. Who can we invite We've been invited to the banqueting table. Who can we also invite? Just remembering that we are blessed. And if anybody here feels blessed in Christ, say yes. I feel so blessed in Christ. I am blessed to be a blessing. And God, have mercy on me when I cease to be a conduit and I'm just like. We are blessed to be a blessing. And our cups are meant to overflow so that they overflow into the lives of others with the love and the mission and the kingdom of God. Psalm 67 was the ancient prayer, and this is where we finish and then I'll let you pray, was the ancient prayer of Israel. So the disciples should not have been so surprised when Jesus was teaching them these things or when he sent them to all the nations because they used to pray this when they gathered in the temple. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, right? Sounds just like our prayer so far, right? God bless me. (laughs) So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still or even more so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. That's the way that God's mission works. You are meant to be a recipient of the blessings of God in Christ through faith alone in him. And you are meant to be a participant in the blessings of God through Christ who alone has all authority to all nations. So endeavor now in prayer by yourself for a couple minutes or with one another to bring your life into harmony with what God's word says and pray for one person, place, or people group that you know needs to be served, satisfied, and saved by Jesus. And don't be surprised someday if God makes you the answer to your own prayer. So be careful what you pray. Okay, go ahead and pray.